Hello and welcome to Cranky Commentaries. As always, I'm your host, Jack Mastro, and as always, I'm joined by my very good friend, Keaton Byer. Hello, Keaton. Hello. How's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. So, uh, the movie today we're doing is uh, The Hurt Locker, a movie that had fooled everybody into thinking that Jeremy Renner's a good actor. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it almost had me fooled. Almost. It was close. Um, I was going to ask you, when, uh, where into the the Marvel Universe does this movie fit? Where in the Marvel This is definitely before most of it. It's like concurrent with Iron Man, right? right? Well, I mean, chronologically it isn't, though, is it? I guess Iron Man is set when it comes out, which is like... I think this movie is like very... Makes it very clear when it's set. Yeah, I think, in fact, they even give you a date. Do they say it on screen? I don't remember exactly, but I think they do, yeah. But it's two, it's 2003. Uh, sorry, 2004. Sorry, 2004. 2004, yeah. Which is, you know, when it would have to be, based on the events that are happening in the movie. Uh, yeah, so this is a, this is a movie about uh, the Iraq War. It's basically, it follows three guys in a bomb disposal unit. There's a specific uh, name for it. What's it called? U.S. Army Explosive Ordnance Disposal Unit. Okay, so, um, yes, Explosive Ordnance Disposal. One of the guys in this team, uh, played by Jeremy Renner, the star of this film. Well, he's a loose cannon. Yeah. Uh, he replaces um, the previous like main bomb disposing guy on the team Who, because that guy got killed by a bomb. Yeah, he got blown up, um, which... Was yeah, you could see coming for from a mile away that he was gonna get yeah, blown that, up. Yeah, exactly. Well, you needed to set the you know expectation that you know anybody can get blown up in this movie. You need to show the danger uh, that that you know exactly is gonna be around for the rest of the movie. So uh, he uh, you know has some serious conflict with uh, his teammates. Uh, yeah, because he's a reckless. We see this he, because through his his reckless uh, you know diffusing of bombs yeah he's uh, he's just not really a great leader he's a great yeah well okay that's something i found unclear was the chain of command in this uh this film yeah it was a bit unclear i think he's in charge i i think he's in charge but then also uh the other guy what's his name like sanborn uh, sanborn yes Sanborn, uh, played by Anthony Mackie, another Marvel Universe uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. participant. Um, yeah, uh-huh. He, uh, he sometimes gives him orders, so it's confusing. Yeah, well, I think they, like, uh, might be... The same rank. The same rank, but he's in, the, yeah. like, in terms of, like, the unit. I think he's in charge of the unit. Yeah. If that makes sense. Anyway, um... So basically, oh, you know, what? Uh, it says here that he's a sergeant first class and Sanborn's just a sergeant. That's what okay. it says in the plot rundown here. But if if you read, it, it, yeah, the uh, all the inaccuracies in this film, which we'll get into in the next episode, uh, yeah, um, it's there. There, yeah, there's some things that aren't aren't, aren't necessarily clear. The ranks like, aren't clear. There's there's one thing I know uh, about uh, the U.S. military is that there's always got to be chain of command. There's always yeah exactly it's it's all gotta have chain of command but the other guy seems to have like almost equal say well the other guy maybe should be in charge because uh, Jeremy Renner's character uh, James is uh, he's reckless and he doesn't communicate and 
Uh, he's just not the kind of guy that you want to be in a life and death situation with. No, not at all. He's just, especially, the, you don't want him in charge of your life and death situation either. Exactly. But um, it is shown that he's very good at defusing bombs. That he is good at. He's a bomb expert. Like, yeah. savant almost. Exactly. Uh, so, essentially, you know, there's there's some conflict between the main characters, and then sometimes they're kind of, uh, you know... They kind of make up a little bit. The uh, ups and downs of of, there's, of yeah, war. It's one of those movies that starts with a war quote. So, you know, it's yeah, about it's war. What was the quote about him about addiction to conflict or something? Oh yeah, what was that? Uh, I think it's war is a drug or something like that. Yeah, right, right. War is a drug. Uh, yeah, which, you know, it definitely seems like he's on it. Oh <laughs> yeah, he's deep in that. He's chasing that dragon bomb <laughs> yeah but it, it very much seems like he's kind of an adrenaline junkie um yeah absolutely without a doubt basically the entire movie takes place as like a series of vignettes of like you know dangerous situations yeah just as basically you, you see them out on missions and it's just you see a bunch of missions it's counting down basically the 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 the, the format of the movie is counting down till when his tour is over um, yeah, which is something like, I think, 40 days at the beginning or 38 days at the beginning of the movie, and then counts down to, to zero. Exactly, yeah. So at one point, he he meets this, like, Iraqi kid uh, who is uh, who he becomes kind of friendly with. Yeah, uh, which he learns then, never to do again. Well, he learns never to do again because he later finds a dead Iraqi kid in on one of his missions. Oh, yeah, who has scene. been used as a yeah like disgusting scene uh completely traumatizing it, <laughs> pretty unfortunate it, stuff yeah that his this dead child's body has been used as a bomb container i guess yeah human bomb human bomb and uh, this it. really rocks his like you know everything <laughs> Yeah, really fucks, uh, it, fucks with him. And really fucks with his head, because uh, he also thinks that this is the same kid. Yeah, who he's... Later on, he finds out that he just can't tell Iraqi kids apart. But, yeah, he finds um... out later he's just racist, but, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. neither here nor there. Um, I mean, to be fair, it was kind of hard, because he was pretty bloodied and cut up. That's that's true. But, you know, also, this guy is not the most, like, you know, mentally stable of all people. Um, yeah, no. So this, yeah, that, that kid getting killed really fucks with him so he like starts going a bit rogue he goes off base and shit yeah he, He's just he not... goes on like a he goes off base on a sort of maverick kind of like uh you know he becomes more unhinged basically yeah he becomes more unhinged and he points a gun at some Iraqi uh professor yeah um, yeah that part of the movie is really for... weird who assumes he's part of the CIA yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah basically the whole movie is essentially just being on edge, knowing that an explosion can happen at any time or somebody can get shot at any time and sort of like the murky fine lines that you have to walk. Exactly, yeah. It's a it's a high-tension movie. Eventually, this gets wrapped up by, you know, them going on sort of like, with I think two days left in their, in their tour. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is his like, uh, his uh, adrenaline is kind of getting to it. His adrenaline junkie attitude has come yeah. to a peak here, you know. Yeah. So uh, he he's 
there's an explosion and he's like man we should go after and look for the guys that did this it's like yeah it's the worst one yet you know there's they're they're like walking through the devastation then they go and chase after these guys against everyone but uh jeremy renner's better judgment yeah they go into this Um, unfortunate situation and split up yeah, and it, it ends with uh, the youngest and uh, lowest-ranked member of their team getting shot in the leg. Yeah, his femur gets shattered in, like, three places or whatever. Yeah, and, requires... and he's none too happy about this, And uh, but he gets to go home. But he would have gone home anyway in two days without being shot. So, exactly. you know. Uh, and so he, he, as he's about to get airlifted out, he really unloads on Jeremy Renner, which I thought was dope. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, because he deserved it the entire time. Yeah, exactly. That was a great part of and the then, movie. Yeah, and then we have uh, a final scene between uh, Jeremy... Oh, because the guy with... This is literally on the last day, the guy with the the vest, right? Yeah, that's literally the last day. Uh, yeah, so there's this guy who has a bomb vest on him, and he's like, I don't want to blow myself up. Please help me get out of this vest. And he tries to help the guy, but he doesn't have enough time. Yeah, that's a that's a you know, pretty unsettling scene. Uh, yeah, pretty unsettling, and he kind of gets hurt. He probably gets concussed because of the force of the explosion. Yeah, he doesn't quite as he's running away. He pushes it to the very last moment because he's trying to help his guy, but yeah, he fails. he's trying to help this guy, but he fails. Um, and then uh, we get a final scene between uh, Sanborn and James, uh, where Sanborn kind of breaks down. And yeah, kind of, just... you know, loses his shit, uh, which, you know, I don't know how he lasted that long. Yeah, it's pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty uh, intense stuff. I don't know how, yeah, anyone can fucking manage in that, you know. Yeah, because he's seen, like, you know, there are people blown up and shot in front of him, like, and shit, and it's it's just fucked, you know? Yeah, it's 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 war, man. Yeah, and then, like, you know, finally... They all get to go home. Jeremy Runner goes home. He sees his family. And then, you know, he kind of realizes, uh, I, he's, he, he doesn't deal with his uh, war addictions. He goes back to Iraq. Yeah, he's not very that. good at being a normal person, so. Yeah, yeah. So they show him going so right that's back. It. And, yeah, and then they, his counter starts again. Yeah. Another full two. Uh, so, th- so that's the Hurt Locker. Um yeah. So yeah, now let's get into some uh, initial thought. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. Initially. <laughs> Initially, what did I think? I actually, I so I'd seen this movie before. I I thought it was actually better watching it again than I remember, which is good. That is always I, good. I man. really, yeah, I really liked the uh, you know the tension. Like I thought, th- although I thought like you know, this is like y- you know it's a good movie, but it's not always like. I think I I have to be in the right mood for it. It's not like it's not always going to be an enjoyable movie to watch just because it's so exhausting sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Because like they just they push it to the last moment. Something's gonna some. Yeah, they really they really try and put you in the in the in the shit with them, which is not necessarily fun. (laughs) Enjoyable. Yeah. Um, And but yeah, like I really think that. a really good job of like you know building the tension was done and like really keeping me on edge and like you know 
like really you know at yeah, any absolutely. moment like you know the guy with the phone he could just be a guy with the phone or maybe he's gonna set off the bomb right exactly you know it, it, it was really uh kind of held your attention the whole time yeah exactly and like even in the beginning where you knew that that guy was gonna blow up yeah well that's what i was gonna say it that was, it was like, still intense because you didn't know when it was gonna happen yeah exactly it's like it, it, it kind of was this weird combination of like you kind of knew exactly where everything was going and like what was gonna happen in yeah, basically every but scene you don't know how it's gonna happen exactly like <laughs> you know you, you knew exactly what's coming and you knew what so I don't know, like, what that is, if that's, like, script-related or if that's just the nature of the type of, like, That's everything. Film. That's editing. That's, like, you know, this is a movie that won the Oscar for uh, yeah, exactly. Best Achievement in Film Editing. Like, you know, it's... Well, the editing is, is, is really good. We'll get into all that more so when we talk yeah. about the production. But, but that's everything. Like, that's editing, writing. That's everything, yeah. really. It's just tension and relief. Although you don't really get a release until the end, <laughs> even then. Yeah, and even even though you know, like basically everything, like you said at the beginning, like as soon as you, yeah. as soon as we were watching it, like we were watching it around the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember when you first, when the first guy, as soon as you could tell by the way the shot is set up, it's like, oh, this guy's gonna get blown up for sure. Like, there's no doubt. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, no doubt. And he does. Uh, but yeah. So, but in general, I thought it, I thought it was it was really good. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was like there's always I always have like you know nature a, a, a bit of uh, apprehension going into like especially recent like war movies like American war movies. Um, right. Like with World War Two movies, it's like whatever because it's more historical. But with like <laughs> Iraq war movies, right. there's always kind of an, an element of like you know mil- American military porn and like fetishizing. Like, although I don't think that that's what this movie is. No, at all. I really, because I mean, I think that this movie. I mean, I think it kind of reserves judgment as much as it can, but although I think it's hard to watch this movie and be like. Yeah, this is gonna make people want to go to war. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, but I think there was definitely. I mean, it's an American-made movie, obviously, but made by yeah. Americans. So there's obvi- there's kind of an obvious like, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a there's a there's a shade in it of definite kind of military. Well, American there's a perspective for sure. Yeah, porn that is like, just you know a little bit is tiresome. Yeah, I mean, but this movie does I, that really well. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much of that specifically I see in this movie, but I mean, sure. I mean, I guess like you know. But like, let's say the, what's like the worst example of it is like American Sniper, you know, any Clint Eastwood movie, basically. Any- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically, so but this, so this is, I'm not saying that it's like a bad thing necessarily. I think, like you say, it's kind of embedded in the fact that it's made by a perspective. It's like a Hollywood American yeah. movie, but um. This is definitely on the on the lower end of the spectrum. If any Clint is Eastwood movie is the <laughs> extreme end. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I mean, the thing about the, with this like movie is like you know, I don't necessarily want to know any of these characters in real life. You know what I mean? It's like whereas I think like a Clint Eastwood movie is gonna make their you know characters come off well. Yeah, the whole point is like oh yeah, hometown American hero. Whereas this was just like actually this main character is a bit of a dickhead who to yeah, be fair also, needs I mean, mental although, help although like you know all you these know. people have PTSD exactly that's what I was just saying like, like, they all need help yeah so I don't know it's more of an it's all it is in a way an indictment 
of you know the military. It is, but I I think yeah, but I mean, I I think that the 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 whole point of this movie is just to kind of like, you know, attempt as much as is possible to just give you the feeling of you know yeah exactly, and we'll get into what's actually what it's actually like, and yeah, you know, and I think you know, not that I you know was considering, but you know. I don't want to go to Iraq after this movie. No, it definitely made me feel like I'm 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 good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm good here. You know? I'm fine outside of a active war zone for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the basic facts, and then we'll get into kind of the 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 making of the movie and all that all that stuff. Um. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So have we mentioned Catherine Bigelow yet? Uh, no, but although I would, like, right off the bat, uh, you know, give her a lot of credit for extracting a good performance out of Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie, really, for him to say. Like, there's, like, he's more just covered in dust. He spends a lot of time... Dust and sweat and shit. Yeah. You know. He... I mean, you know... You know what we've always said many times about, you know, movie show in the desert, and I think this applies to this movie. <laughs> that it's extremely hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get and into I, all I, that. I think that, that should be clear, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it shows for sure. Well, yeah. This movie definitely um, has, like, it, like, moments of feeling like a low-budget film. Yeah, well, I mean, because it is. Yeah, well, well, I wouldn't say it's low-budget, but it's on the lower end, yeah. Four, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not... Yeah, yeah. It's definitely not a low budget film, but it's a uh... yeah for an American movie. Like yeah, I mean, I, this 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 movie is kind of considered an independent film. Like I think it kind of is. Yeah, although that's kind of a blurry line. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's one of those definitely kind of like uh, middle of the road. Not necessarily, and it's it's the. But I mean, also like you know, Catherine Bigelow had like worked in like you know Hollywood before that, so she's not like an outsider or anything. Yeah, exactly. That's that's yeah, exactly. She's a not she's an insider making an independent film, basically. That's what. Although we're up to that point, like I think when this movie was made, like I don't think her Hollywood career was doing that well. No, well, I'm just like I, that's what I was just going. I was going yeah. to her uh, filmography just to like because she did Point Break, right? Yeah. So that's like the only one we, I can think. of. I haven't seen Point Break in a long time. But it's it's not like seeing that movie. It's not thinking like, oh, there's a future Oscar winner. Yeah, that's you know, a silly movie. <laughs> yeah, it's Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves, right? Like, yeah, the most recent film she had done was in 2002. Yeah, so Harrison a pretty big Ford. gap. Uh, was that the submarine movie? Yeah, uh, K19, The Widowmaker. Doesn't look like a great right. film. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so this movie came out in 2008. I don't know if we specifically mentioned that, but 2008. Written by uh, Mark Bull, who we will get into right now, because he's a kind of an yes. interesting character. Well, I think, like, you know, definitely this movie this movie doesn't happen without him, right? Like, you know. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. This is his... Yeah. Uh, sh- Catherine Bickelow's very much a director, but he's the, the kind of the creative, like, producer here. Yeah. She yeah, he also like his yeah exactly his, content. his idea basically yeah. But I think they developed it basically together. Although you know, as you know, we're gonna get into right now. Yeah, literally right uh, now. So. Mark Bull actually went to Iraq, basically during the war. 
Yeah. Well, he yeah he did a lot of uh, uh, writing in in uh, Iraq, but bef- before that, he was just you know kind of a journalist. Yes. But he was uh he definitely focused on like you know uh like t- tense topics. You know what I mean? Like serious topics. Yeah. Like Columbine serious and stuff. Journalism. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of the Columbine thing, he wrote a kind of a dicey article in 1999 about like video games rating system and he kind of equated video like he kind of blamed columbine on violent video games yeah i mean i think that that was a pretty common perspective at the time yeah like i i don't know how many people now like you know have that i'm perspective i'm sure his perspective has evolved but you know I just thought that was interesting, but yeah. So he did a lot of writing. He yeah. wrote for, uh, uh, I think that article was for Salon, but he also did some writing for Rolling Stone, and then specifically, like we were talking about, because he was started doing a lot of uh, writing in uh, from Iraq. Yeah. So he was actually embedded with uh, with a team, uh, like with uh, soldiers in Iraq, right? Yeah. Well, I for his first article for this first article i don't know if he was embedded specifically he may have been i'm not saying he wasn't i just don't know if he specifically was but he was definitely in iraq like but this article was more of like an investigative piece uh it was actually wrote it for playboy it was released in playboy in may of 2004 um and it was called death and dishonor and it's kind of an it's an interesting story about like a a, a, an iraq veteran who gets murdered basically Mm -hmm. and it, it follows kind of at the same time his uh, uh the 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 murder and the, his experiences in, in in Iraq which were extremely intense so that when that came out that was picked up by uh the Canadian director and producer general filmmaker Paul Haggis I mean, are you familiar with him uh, do I know Paul Haggis I'm sure uh, you know his work I'm sure he's done a lot of stuff um oh yeah oh yeah uh, producer for consecutive Oscar-winning films, uh, wow. Billion Dollar Baby and Crash. There you go. Now that's that's hardcore. So yeah, so he. Yeah, no, I think we've we've hit on consecutive Oscar-winning, but you know that's a pretty damn impressive you know achievement to win two consecutive Oscars. I think who was it? Emmanuel Lubezki who won like three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we. <laughs> In a row, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's, it's uh, it's consecutive Oscar conversations. An interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah. So consecutive Oscar winner Paul Haggis. Uh. Yeah. He read the Death and Dishonor uh, article and he wanted to turn it into a film. So he did turn it into a film that I've never, until earlier today, heard of or seen, called uh, Valley of Ella Ela. Uh. I'd- I assume it's Ella, Ela, Ela, yeah, E L H. I don't know how to pronounce that, but starring Tommy Lee Jones and uh, what's her name, Throne. What's her name? What's her first name? Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron. That's her name. Yeah. So they were in a movie about about this. So that's kind of how he broke in into Hollywood. But shortly after this article ca- came out, as you were saying, he, this is when he was actually definitely embedded with a bomb ordnance unit. Right, so the very the very type of unit that this film is about. Exactly. Like so he was he was on the ground with them and apparently they went out ten to fifteen times a day to do like, you know, runs, which is just so intense. Yeah. So just like obviously probably most of those were uh uneventful from like from what I've just, like, you know, seen Yeah. Uh, I mean, based on the fact that he's still alive, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
they yet they can't have been like you know at the same rate that they were happening in the film but still um because there's that one scene in the film where they have the guy who rides along with them and he gets killed immediately yeah well that was that was like (laughs) that was purely that's got to be what's going through mark bull's head every time he's like going out yeah exactly exactly yeah i totally forgot about that part that part was that's kind of what I meant by like as soon as that guy was like I'm coming with you guys yeah, it's like, like okay he's, well, gonna, he's die. gonna die for sure yeah. yeah and then he did <laughs> yeah but yeah anyway so he was he he was with a a, a, a bomb ordnance unit and he ended up writing an article about one of the guys in the in the unit called uh, the man in the bomb suit which was um not really. It didn't. It wasn't really about like anything like this movie. It just was about like a specific guy, and it was about the, the the emotional concept, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And the actual concept of a man in a bomb suit. Exactly, exactly. Like kind of like literally just going over what he does and, and all that. But meanwhile, uh, Catherine Bigelow had been familiar with Mark Bull since she says since around two thousand and two. She had like been familiar with his work, and she was actually interested in making a film with him since she had heard of his work. Um, apparently, she even developed an article of his into a television series. She said that in an interview. I couldn't find out what television series that was. Maybe it didn't actually like. Oh no! It 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 was made. I think I have that information. Oh, sick. Uh, the inside. The inside. So, what year was that? Yeah. Okay. So, so that is uh, he, uh she developed um one of his articles for part of this television series from two, uh, in 2005. In 2005, right, okay. So yeah. um, so she was like, you know, uh, 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 into working with him already. She, So she essentially, she reached out to him, I think, while he was embedded with this unit. Mm-hmm. And they were, and she was like, "Let's make a, a movie about this." And he was like, "Definitely." So they started like, uh, 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 like you know, emailing about the, like what was going on and like kind of getting the creative uh, uh, juices flowing about what they were gonna t- like make this movie about. She said uh, to film inside. He would send me emails in country, and it was phenomenally interesting. The psychology of the soldiers. The fact that it's a conflict that's very unique to this particular engagement. It's not a ground war. It's not air to ground. It's basically a war of invisible, potentially catastrophic threats 24-7. And that's basically the whole movie. That is basically... Is the, that, yeah. you know, that last thing, you know, a war of invisible, potentially catastrophic threats. Exactly. Like, she she summed it up in that sentence. That's exactly what this whole movie is. And she nails it, basically, that vibe. You know, it's like, it's not knowing if that guy on the roof with a camera is a threat, or is he, you know, uh, just some guy. You yeah, know? exactly. We don't know. You don't know what... There's no... We never find out about that, actually. Whether or not that guy with the camera was a problem. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they motioned to him... The guys in the tower, yeah. but we never really found out. We don't know what that was about. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, so she's she's emailing with him, and she starts to work on like while he's working on like the actual like collecting the content information from being on the ground. Uh, she starts doing kind of storyboard work and starts thinking about the casting. Um, 
so she said about the feel of the film, which kind of follows along with that last sentence as well. About the feel of the film, she said, you make it as real and as authentic as possible to put the audience in the Humvee into a boots on the ground experience. How do you do that? By finding a look, a feel, and a texture that is very immediate, raw, and vital, and yet it's also not aestheticized. Uh, I wanted, as a filmmaker, to sort of step aside and just let the rawness and integrity of the subject be as pronounced as possible and not to have it feel cinematic. Yeah. Yeah, no, like, um, I think that that, yeah, that's that's very evident. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, you you don't get the sense that like you know there's a ton of like you know carefully constructed like shots here and like you know no it does all seem is... pretty pretty organic the way it's yeah exactly it it, it happens and um, very fluid yeah and just like you can definitely I think it definitely kind of has a vibe of like a lot of the like yeah. shots are just like let's just just get a shot of that and maybe it'll be coming handy later. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one of my favorite shots of the movie is just where they show them like in when they when they're in that sort of firefight with the sniper. Yeah. You know, and then they show this shot from the sniper's point of view and then he sees them like really far away. And you can barely even see them in the thing. So you get to see what his perspective looks like and you basically can't see them at all. Yeah. That is a great shot. Yeah. It, it's really cool. Yeah, and well, that's that's what I was gonna say. Is like so much of it of uh, that feeling, like of it not feeling cinematic, is achieved by the like uh, uh, yeah, cinematography. Yeah, ba- basically cinematic techniques. Exactly. Uh, like, should we get into that? That's exactly what I was gonna say. Let's let's talk about it. Let let's roll that. All right, this is how did they shoot it? Where we're gonna talk about how they shot it and Keaton. Right off the bat, uh, this film was made in two thousand eight. Sorry, two thousand. It was made in two thousand eight, right? Yeah. Well, it was filmed, I think, in two thousand seven. But, but yeah, we'll okay. talk about that specifically. So, but sort too. of like late, late two thousands. Do you think this was film or digital? It's right on the right on the cusp, isn't it? Yeah. Also, sort of independent movie. So, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, they're probably going to use like, you know. Well, based so based on my limited understanding, uh, yeah. Also, you know, lots of lots of cameras, so you're and a lot of movement around, so you're not going to want something too heavy. I'm thinking, I'm thinking they did digital just because it just seems like it would have been more convenient for the how I understand that they shot. But I'm a little bit shaky on it, so that could be wrong. Well, you're wrong. Oh fuck. It was film, really? So this... Yeah, so, okay, well, it, it, it was shot on film, but... Yeah, okay. I I mean, did, how closely did you sort of inspect the image? Uh, not that closely, I guess. Was right, it like, yeah. Was there <laughs> anyway, film grain on it? Th- there was, like, really telltale film grain, I find. Uh, and part of the reason for that is because this movie was actually shot on Super 16mm. So, wow, Super 16 So not on 35, which is what we normally see in films. Super 16. Super 16 is the exact same film as 16 millimeter. It's just a different way that the image is exposed. Right. So, but as a result, you end up with, you know, the image is smaller, so therefore the grain is bigger, so there's more grain. Right. right. I kind of like that look, though. 
it, it looked really good, like, I think. And, like, also another aspect that you'll normally see, it's on 35mm too, but it's more pronounced on 16mm, is the sort of, like, halos on uh, high contrast areas. And and I, I think that, that that's a really cool look. It, it looks very organic, as, you know, I'm sure everybody fucking says about film. But <laughs> uh, specifically, uh, the uh, this film was shot by uh, uh, Barry Aykroyd. Any relation to Dan? Uh, no, it's actually spelled uh, differently, uh. I believe. Aykroyd, is that... Does Dan Aykroyd have a C? In Ackroyd? No, I think it's a K. Okay, well, it's a CK in Ackroyd for this guy. I'm not sure. No, I think it's just a K in Dan Ackroyd, but I'm not sure. Um, okay. Anyway. Yeah, well, he does a great job. I think I think <laughs> one of the things that like almost bothered me at first, but you kind of settle into it, is that it kind of has that almost found footage feel where the camera's just super shaky and you're like, kind of feel like you're just, you know, the person, yeah. the next person it, in it, the seat, you know? I mean, it's not that shaky to be fair. Like it's not like as shaky as like, you know, a fucking, uh, well, it's not like an actual found footage film, but yeah, it's exactly. not that shaky, um, but it's like, it's, 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 but I mean, it's like, it's like having a news camera, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it, so the camera's um, affected by the action. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, so um, there were like tons of cameras everywhere. Uh, I Jeremy Renner was talking on this behind the scenes thing where he was saying like, you know, sometimes you're just doing the scene and then you see, oh, there's a camera there that I didn't know it was there. There's a camera over there that I didn't know it was there. Yeah, you know? and they said something like what up to six cameras sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that like that also that does something to your performance also when you don't know where the camera is. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I forget who said it, but it was described as kind of being like a play almost in a lot of ways because it was like, yeah, exactly. There's like, it's almost as if the audience is everywhere as opposed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 But like, I also think that like, you know, that it kind of adds to like the kind of, you know, murkiness of the whole movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Where... Cause it's like, you know, there's all these different angles. You're not really sure where, you know, where you're going to be looking from, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think th they said, like, a, 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 another result of that was they had, like, 600 hours of raw footage or something like that. Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the raw footage for a second. <laughs> okay, that's a whole thing. All right. So, okay, so this is actually really interesting. Uh, so part of, part of what they did... Uh, with this movie is they edited as they went. Oh yeah. What other, who, what, who were we talking about? We were about? talking about Kurosawa. That's who it was. Yeah. Yeah. Kurosawa did that. He also used a bunch of cameras as well. Interesting. I guess that's, but he was only using like three cameras. So like, fuck that, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, that's nothing. this is nothing. So basically, so they edited, uh, on, on location as well. So they had the editors actually on set with them. Well, not set Damn. on location with them, and so for the in Jordan. Was, well, yeah, yeah, but for the is that this for the for the same reasons that Kurosawa did it, just so that they could kind of like keep all their shit together. Yeah. So specifically, uh, sorry, uh, I think I have a quote here. Okay, so yeah, so I have a quote from uh, Chris Innes, who uh, is one of the editors, as well as uh, Bob Moraski. Or she basically says that like, we're doing this so that they. 
they they didn't have to film blindly as as, as she says um, right so that's basically the same uh, basically, reason so they wanted to have like a version of the film like kind of going basically as they uh did it right right but um so they had a huge amount of trouble with this whole aspect of it because okay if you want to edit on set or even if you just want to see you know if you you just want to have the crew be able to watch dailies right yeah you need to develop the film yeah problem yeah where do you get film developed in jordan motion picture film good question where you can't (laughs) no no there's well you probably can but there was no feasible option for them to be able to do that like volume on a a daily so they had to bring their own operation like developing operation no no they had to ship it daily they had to ship the film out of the country on a daily basis yes where are they shipping they couldn't sit to the uk daily Every day. That's fucked up. Well, not every day. Probably every couple days, right? Right, but still. But they couldn't send it by mail. Because I don't know if you know this, but when something gets mailed, especially out of like an area like the Middle East, where you know it they're, gets they're worried scanned. about it, they're worried about you know um, you know bombs and things like that. Uh, you know they X-ray it. And I don't know if you know what happens when you x-ray undeveloped film. Not good things. It destroys the film. Well, that's no good. The image disappears because you just ex- you basically expose the film because the you x-rays expose it, yeah. go right th- go right through whatever it's in and expose all the film so you got no image on it. Yeah. So, what they had to do was uh send a person to accompany the reel of the reels of film, so someone just flew back and, and forth. bring the film as carry on. Don't they? Didn't they? Don't they X-ray carry on too? No, but the thing is, you can open it. You don't have to X-ray it if they just open it and show you. Right. So it's film. Please don't let me fly with it. That's ridiculous. This is the film. It's film. It's not a fucking thing, right? Uh, I don't but, know. Film is yeah, a safe so, carry on because that that stuff goes on up. You know. No, it's not nitrate film anymore. It hasn't been nitrate film since like the 1930s. But doesn't it still? Isn't it still pretty? No, not really. All right. Well, I mean, like it'll burn, but it's not. It's it's like paper, right? Paper's not dangerous. <laughs> you tell that to uh, um, anyone suffering <laughs> from a paper cut currently listening. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, so basically, yeah, they had this this this. Uh, they set the film, and they figured, okay, so, you know, we're just editing it, so we don't need, like, all the film back, so we don't need to send them back with a print of the film. Uh, we'll just send them some files. Right, right. Because they're scanning and then doing the... Digital files, right? Right. Okay, yeah, So, gotcha. what would happen is that uh, they thought, okay, well, we can just send it over the internet back to them, right? From the UK. So yeah, at this point, but apparently the internet in Jordan was so unreliable that they literally had to send somebody back in the plane oh my with, God. So with the tapes. Both ways. Of, yeah. Eventually, apparently, they uh, they negotiated with a radio station to allow them to uh, transmit, sorry, not, to receive the uh, the files over the air. That's hilarious. Later. That's so But ridiculous. yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was a huge fucking- A real fucking uh, asshole. 
Maybe they should have done the digital. real hassle in 2008. I don't know if they could. Yeah, well, they could. They should have just got an iPhone. I think the iPhone was out. Uh, have you seen iPhone? <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. Is it that bad? Huh? They can't. It's not. It's not movie quality. Yeah. No. Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, recently I was watching some like you know YouTube videos from like way back when. I was like, oh my god, I can't believe people actually watch this quality of video. <laughs> this is unacceptable. <laughs> it's like, how did people like actually post this online? Uh, I mean, we're spoiled nowadays with like fucking video quality. Oh, absolutely, yeah, like, absolutely. Um, yeah, but what was I gonna say? This that's unrelated. that's a whole uh, yeah, that's an aside. Um, we're but yeah, no, just like I think, yeah, this movie was very effective at at uh, conveying what they conveyed through cinematography and i haven't even actually i still need to talk about the uh the slow-mo stuff because i thought that was amazing yeah like um what was the first slow-mo scene because there's a few that they did it was it it was the very beginning it was the explosion oh yeah it was the first explosion and i I thought that that just because it's so slow you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but it like it, and it's like it's you're seeing stuff like, and the, the I just love the fact that it's not like they just pointed the camera at the explosion and showed the explosion in slow mo. You know what I mean? What do you mean? No, I don't know what you mean. What did they do? Well, because like you know, the boring thing is to sh- point the camera at the explosion and just show the explosion in slow mo, which they did later. Yeah, but they just start by showing like the things around the explosion and the shock waves of oh, the explosion yeah, yeah, yeah. interacting that was with really stuff good. like the, like the dust on the car and like you know the stuff on the sand on the ground just sort of lifting, just showing yeah the the gravel like rattling. Yeah, that was a really good use of that. And yeah, I thought that was amazing because it's just something you don't really like. It's such an alien looking thing when you see it like on screen like that, and I think that that kind of like. No, yeah, totally. It really makes the explosion feel more powerful when you actually see it. You know? Yeah, I, mean? I think the cinematography really made this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, like, and I mean, I did it. Yeah, obviously, you know, uh, back to the sixteen millimeter thing. Like, the reason why they did that was because you know they had the budget wasn't that big, and so like I 15 think fifteen million I think was the final budget. Yeah, fifteen million, and it's well, I think all of that was spent on flights between London. Yeah, and, well, that's uh, what I was gonna say. You it's know. like your own location. <laughs> so much of that is already eaten up by just being on location. Yeah. Exactly. Um, although they they used a lot of local extras, I think. Yeah. Well, they used. We'll talk about that next week. It's super. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that later. But it is interesting. Um. But what was I gonna say? So yeah, like the reason why they did sixteen millimeter is because sixteen millimeter is quite a bit cheaper than thirty five. And yeah. uh, and you know when you're going through so much film when you're shooting from all these different angles, and then you also want a camera that you know you can actually carry. Yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> Good point. Because you don't, so you that, don't want to have yeah, like six guys carrying like unbelievably heavy cameras that you have to then schlep around everywhere. Yeah, and so I thought that um, it was extra impressive given that the film was done on such a low budget. Yeah. Comparatively. Yeah, totally. And I just uh, want to mention that I think this is the very first movie that we've done that was actually done on Fujifilm instead of Kodak. Was it really? Is, is it really? Cause, yeah, we shot on Fujifilm, which is uh, interesting because I don't see that many movies. We, we haven't done that many movies that have been shot on Fujifilm. Was that? And you can't buy Fujifilm movie film anymore, which is interesting. Is that just because it was like a budget option or something? Why is Why would they have done I that? I think it was a little cheaper, but 
I think just Kodak was the choice of um, Hollywood mainly because, you know, Kodak had just such a presence in Hollywood and all the people working for Kodak were there, you know? So was it because they were buying it from Jordan? I'm not exactly sure, but, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. But um, interesting that they used Fujifilm. Pretty, pretty, pretty well done cinematographically, I think. Oh, yeah, that's like probably uh, uh, this movie's strongest uh, point is that in the editing yeah it's it it can be a bit of an issue though <laughs> uh when you've got so many angles um what? and so many cameras <laughs> running is because i don't know if you if you read that through that 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 thing you sent me if you read the whole thing but there were so many continuity errors <laughs> oh yeah no i didn't even notice them to be honest no, i didn't notice like, them either while, watching, while watching it like it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Like, but there was like something uh, like two dozen continuity errors about like you cut here and then like you know the, there was you could see the reflection of something that had already ended or you know an object was in the wrong place and there was there yeah, was just I know uh, like literally two dozen instances of that. Yeah. Like the other thing you're gonna find inconsistencies with with this movie is like any movie about the military is gonna have people who are you know. Weirdly obsessive about equipment stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking gun nuts being like, oh, that's the wrong scope for that weapon. Uh, that's, I don't like. Yeah. And, or, sorry, they don't call them just weapons. Like, they call them systems. Right. Um, I don't know. But, I mean, I've watched a lot of uh, Stargate SG-1, and, like, a lot of people on the Stargate Reddit are just like, you know, oh, I know all this stuff about guns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But, yeah, um, there are people who... Are into guns are really weird and obsessive. I appreciate but, um, their passion. Just don't shoot me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, there's all sorts of shit about. Although I was watching this like YouTube thing about some uh, explosives experts talking about like different movies. Yeah. And they talked about the Hurt Locker, and they said that there was some stuff that was inaccurate, but that you know, the U.S. military probably prefers it that way. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> Because, you know, you don't want to be making, like, a movie that, like, you know... Yeah. People are going to see, and they're going to know this is how they do that, you know? Exactly. They 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 really don't want you to know how they do anything. They love the secrecy. They hate transparency. For, for Yeah. I mean, specifically, they were talking about, like, the detonators on the, C4, on the C4 that they used or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's well, like, the... those aren't the right kind or whatever. It's like, you you wouldn't lay it down that way. Yeah, you know? and it's just like... the, whole, the whole bomb construction, I think, in this movie wasn't particularly accurate, but that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think people need to know how to make. Yeah, bombs. people don't need to see a perfectly visually uh, accurate bomb. Oh, and one thing I I, I want to say about this movie also, this is an entire movie about bombs. Yeah, and I really want to give it give it credit for not once talking about cre- cutting the red wire. <laughs> yeah, there was not one scene like that, was there? No, there wasn't, and it was great. I didn't miss it at all. I didn't miss it either. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah, not one scene of like, don't cut that wire, cut this wire. Exactly. It's like, it's like no, you he know. Was, the actual disarming of the bomb was not ever the issue. He was always competent yeah. at that aspect of it. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. But yeah. So yeah, that's that's how they shot it. Uh, we'll, we have a lot more information on that sort of stuff that involves less camera-y stuff. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably talk about explosions. 
Yeah, exactly. Because there's a lot of yeah, that. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot like, about actually, that. Actually, I, I, I talked about how a lot of this budget was eaten up by uh, probably flights, but like also... All, yeah, all we... Explosions. Seaport's expensive. Um, I, they definitely did not use Seaport. Yeah, yeah, well, explosives are expensive. Yeah, I I don't think you can buy C4. I'm pretty sure that's like highly highly controlled. <laughs> highly controlled. Yeah, like, I don't think you can just get that for a film. Um, yeah, but yeah, we'll we'll talk about more of that stuff next week. But uh, mm-hmm. but we've got one more segment this week. That we can get to. Oh yeah, first wholesome entertainment. Welcome to Six Degrees of Star Trek. This is the segment at which yeah. we find the connections between this film and Star Trek. Uh, so was Jeremy Renner in Star Trek is the question. No, he was not. No. If this was like MCU connections, you know. There would be almost <laughs> be a lot like literally everyone in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this movie was really good for Jeremy Renner's career. Yeah, well, because he we'll talk we'll talk about it next week a little bit more. But yeah, he was a nobody, and then now he's yeah, exactly. But uh, no, he was. uh, This is not that, and that would be a very boring segment. Yeah, (laughs) I'm Um, sure people who would love that segment might find this segment boring too. So, well, I don't care about those people. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, we know how you feel. I only care about the people who love this segment. Oh, yeah. This is the best. That's a good one. Everybody everybody knows this is everybody's favorite segment. Everybody's, yeah. Um, First, who are we going to start off with? Let's start off with Jeremy Renner. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so Jeremy Renner was not in Star Trek. No, well, you said that already. However, he was in a very not good movie called (laughs) Hansel and Gretel, Colin Witch Hunters. Ooh, how could anyone think that that was gonna work out? Um, did that movie turn a I profit? Don't know. It, like, it must have made its money back. Oh yeah, four times over. Like, what is wrong? Like, why? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the evil witch in this film is played by Famke Janssen. Okay. Who is in many things, but one of them is an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Fuck yeah, which episode? Is it a good one? Uh, The 1992 episode, The Perfect Mate. That sounds familiar and also sounds gross, to be honest. Uh, Okay, so basically she plays this um, sort of alien who uh, is supposedly bred to be, like, you know, the perfect wife. Ah, so yeah, right. The Enterprise is supposed to transport her as like a diplomatic gift to another from one planet to another one. I do recall that. And episode, obviously, yeah. you know, Picard is really, you know, not into it. Kind of weird about it. Uh, but like, uh, eventually, it, you know, it turns out that she kind of falls for Picard and Picard falls for her. <laughs> but he's still uptight about it because he's, yeah, he's not into it. Well, not not into it. You know what I mean. He's he's not. But you know he can't be because he's the captain. He can't be in it. There's all these ethical quandaries and all that. Yeah. Also interesting that in the episode, 
Famke Janssen's race is clearly has trill spots on her makeup. Yeah, I see that. But her race is not a trill. Trill is a different race. Yeah. Who have a history of inconsistent depictions in Star Trek. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, what race is she supposed to be here? I thought... Uh, I think they say, but I can't remember what they mm. were called. But she's clearly made up like a trill. Yeah. So, Inconsistencies. Weird. I don't know. She's not a trill. But yeah, next, uh, director, Catherine Bigelow. Okay. Um, She has not, not been involved with Star she Trek. She hasn't directed directly. any Star Trek. However, um, a producer who she has worked with many times such as on films uh, Near Dark and Strange Days, producer Stephen Charles Jaffe, or maybe Jaffe, I don't know I, how you say that. I, I think he may have come up once during this podcast. I don't remember, though. Oh, also K-19, The Widowmaker, which we mentioned. Which we did mention, yeah. Uh, he also produced Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Sick. <laughs> Yeah, he did, didn't he? I was kind of hoping that he had produced this movie because then it would be a direct connection, but he was not involved directly in this movie as far as I can tell. Unfortunate. Okay. You know who was in Star Trek uh, VI? Who? Absolute legend. Christopher Plummer. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Because I was just thinking, okay, a lot of people were in that movie. But yeah, that's true. Wait, yes. Star Trek VI. Yeah. Uh, That's the one with the Klingons. Well, there's Klingons in a lot of them, actually. Yeah, but, well, there's also a lot of Star Trek movies. Yeah, so that's two. We usually do three. And here so, we go. What is so, three? So, you might have missed it, but Ray finds us in this movie. Oh, I did not miss brief, it. How, for however brief, uh, a few, like, I guess it's one scene, because he gets shot basically pretty a couple quick, minutes pretty after quickly, being yeah. introduced. And his blood is proves to be an inconvenience for them. Yeah, his blood plays a pretty big role in the movie for sure. <laughs> yeah, more. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wouldn't say a bigger role than him, but almost. I'd almost, say equal yeah. role. Yeah. But yeah, you know. So has he done? He hasn't done Star Trek. No, he's not been in Star Trek. Uh, maybe I could see connection. him being in uh, Abrams Trek. Abrams Trek? Maybe. Maybe I don't know. Uh. Anyway. But that's the only, I could, that's all I could see. But it'd be it'd be great if he was in like fucking classic track, like you know some of the films from like uh, some of the sort of um, original series movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, but you know I wouldn't see that. Uh, anyway, he was a one of the many voice actors in the star-studded voice cast of The Prince of Egypt in 1998. Oh, great film. Uh, he played the Pharaoh Ramses. He was. He was Ramses in that movie. And you know who else was in that movie? Uh, let me see. Val Kilmer was in that movie. Michelle yeah, Pfeiffer was in about? that movie. Jeff Goldblum was in that movie. No, no, no. Yes. Yeah, I know we care about Jeff Goldblum, but who do we care about for this segment? <laughs> Sir Patrick Stewart was in that yes. movie. Yes, he was. <laughs> That's a, and yeah, that's 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 three connections right there. You're you're not gonna explain who Sir Patrick Stewart is. Uh, well, he's Picard and Star Trek: The Generation. <laughs> it's pretty. And the voice of Seti and uh, Prince of Egypt. <laughs> 
good yeah, stuff. That's, top that's, quality stuff. It's top quality stuff for, you know, <laughs> Star Trek's top quality show. Um, so, uh, yeah, of course, this segment's going to, it's naturally top quality stuff. Exactly. So, yeah, that's that's the, that's our Trek connections. Um, yeah. Feel so, very connected. Well, you're, you're basically plugged in, like, physically. I'm plugged you're in. basically yeah, wired exactly. in. Into the Trek. I, I yeah. am in, you know, the episode uh, where uh, Barclay gets connected to the Enterprise? Yeah, exactly. It's like that. Exactly. That's like you to the Star Trek universe. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's that's this week. We're going to be back next week with a lot more stuff on this film because there's still a Yeah, lot there's a lot stuff. to say. Yeah. Um, you know, Cause a lot went into this. And, you know, you know, it's a, just... Uh, a lot came out of it. A lot came out of it, too. Yeah. Um, like yes, careers career. were made. Careers were rejuvenated. Oscars were won. Yeah. And we'll talk all James about all Cameron, that. James Cameron was snubbed. James Cameron was presumably a bit annoyed until he went home to sleep on his giant pile of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll get into all that next week. So that's, yeah. that's, that's next week. Do we have any uh, anything else to say before we... Uh, uh, yeah, I'd like to thank all our French listeners for listening to us. Oh, c'est bon. Oh, c'est bon. Yeah. Au revoir. <laughs>